0: Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. After a turbulent two years for the hospitality sector, the Edinburgh Evening News Restaurant Awards are back and bigger than ever. The awards aim to recognise the incredible achievements of the Edinburgh restaurant scene in the face of unprecedented adversity over the past two years. You can nominate your favourite places to eat in 15 different categories and help celebrate the best eateries in the city, from city fine dining to cosy street food eateries in the Lothians. Please make your nominations at edinburghrestaurantawards.co.uk before the 10th of May. That's edinburghrestaurantawards.co.uk. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this episode, I headed north to the Torridon Boutique Resort in Wester Ross to meet owner and manager Dan Rose Bristow and head chef Paul Green. I was given a tour of the kitchen garden, which supplies much of the produce used in the resort and acts as a focal point for staff and visitors alike.
2: So later on this year, this will be covered in apples, whether it's cooking apples, apples that will be in the rooms for eating. Really delicious.
0: Dan told me about he and his wife, Roheys took over her family business more than 20 years ago, building on the institution and creating a modern boutique hotel and restaurant, which aims to be a place like no other. Their success has led them to produce their very own Scottish gin, which is proving popular with guests and gin lovers alike. Dan explains how they came about this venture and the importance of the product reflecting the ethos of the Torridon.
1: The market changed somewhat, people were still interested in whisky, but gin came onto the scene and, and we, we suddenly found ourselves with sort of 90 to 120 gins on site from all over the world.
0: Head chef Paul Green told me about how he came into chefing, the importance of a work-life balance for his team, and how he believes the industry has changed for the better in recent years.
2: The hours, they're not as nowhere near as extreme as what they used to be. I can remember when I was younger, so between 16 and 18 hours, um, 10, 12 days straight in certain places.
0: I started by asking Dan Rose Bristow for a brief history of the hotel and how he came to run it.
1: This year actually is 30 years that the hotel has been in the family business, so we're an independent hotel that's gone from a no-rosette, three-star type of operation to three rosettes and five stars in the space of around 20, 25 years, and we've developed from being a an old country house hotel to a resort that offers a variety of accommodation from the five-star hotel to the stables accommodation that's ideal for outdoors and families and then we also have our self-catering the boathouse uh, which is a two-bedroom property here on site and in that time we've gone from 20 staff to 55 staff. We've gone, we've developed a two acre Victorian kitchen garden. We've added on uh, an outdoor activity business that uses all the assets in our local area from, from mountain peaks to seawater locks for kayaking, climbing, a lot of mountain biking in the area. And we do clays and archery and that type of thing, as well as things as diverse as snorkeling and, and uh, if you're brave enough with the wetsuit. So yeah, we've really developed what we do and we have 30 rooms on site in total two restaurants so we have at the hotel 1887 restaurant which is ugh, people say fine dining but I, I don't tend to like that word so much these days but more i suppose more formal and special occasion and then just across the road we have our bar and Brasserie, uh, which is more informal and and uh, brasserie style menu so people have a choice so we've developed uh, very much as a destination resort people come here for an average two three days minimum we'll eat at both restaurants we'll do the outdoors we'll take a tour of the kitchen garden we'll do their own walks in the area uh, and enjoy what we have to offer here so yeah we've really developed what we've done in the last few years.
0: How did you come to be here it was your wife's family wasn't it?
1: Yeah so David and and Gregory are, are still part of the owners in the business um, we've bought uh, most of it from them and we work with them or we used to work with them and now Um, Is um, They very much have retired, which is great. They're actually now living in the borders uh, and they're enjoying their life there. And we're at the sharp end working and and developing what we do and continue to. We very much learnt off of them in the early days and then subsequently have sort of, I suppose, ploughed our own furrow in terms of the direction we wanted to go. Um, Raheys and I came here in 99. We have very different strengths. Uh, Operations Director Ross... Aitchison works here as well um, on the more sort of uh, operational side and then we have Bridget Williams who does the uh, Recruitment and uh, and office administration and as a leadership team together with Paul uh, Paul Green our head chef We, we all uh, have, have different attributes to bring to the team and um, actually we work quite well Yeah, Rahiz and I have have worked most of our life now in hotels. I suppose it's a, a real love that we have here You come to our home. We've developed it and 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 refurbish it in a way that is really in our style, and we've wanted to open up our home to people to come and visit, and really have an experience as the destination, like a place like no other, as we say here. People really come and experience the outdoors, the location, which is key. That's that's probably our biggest selling point, and the hospitality that we offer.
0: So you say you've worked most of your life in hotels now, but. Was that your something you always wanted to get into? Is it, did you come from that no, kind of background? Uh,
1: no, I was in banking in the city. Rehez was in conference organising, so she was in hospitality. Later on in, in our, our relationship, we always said that Rehez said she never wanted to work in hotels, and I always said I'd never live in Torridon. <laughs> uh, and about 18 months later, we were both here. So things changed. I think Rehez's parents were looking to retire and, and uh, were looking for managers, really, and I don't think they really thought we would ask or, or offer our services. And we did, we were in London, maybe a bit disillusioned to what we were going to do and wanted to move out, start a family. And we thought maybe this was a great opportunity. So I looked at it as being the opportunity to run my own business and, and be an entrepreneur and that side of things. And Ray's, yeah, ultimately loved Torridon and, 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 and the location that was our family home. So the decision was made. We we, stayed, we did keep our, our flat in London for a few years. In case it didn't work out, but yeah, we're still here. And the flat's been sold, so now we're stuck here we've built our own home here and our three children who are now sort of 21, 19 and 16 have all grown up here as well so yeah
0: and do you kind of see them coming into it or is it not sort of no pressure kind of
1: that's a really hard question because you sort of um, sometimes you want the family business to carry on in that way but you very much want them it to be organic from them Um, I think sometimes they probably resent what we do on occasion. We live in a very remote location, which for children can be a bit tough. But they also appreciate what Torren's about, and they have loved living here. I think the hotel is a is a twenty four seven business, and that sometimes is somewhat detracted from family life on occasion. But certainly, my my oldest son Angus is very good at hospitality, but he's chosen digital marketing, but in the hospitality industry, so he's very much focused about that. He's worked in the hotel, and and understands. What we do, our middle son is more of an outdoors practical man, um, and he's loving that. Uh, and our daughter is still at school, so I don't know. We were twenty six, twenty seven when we decided to come here, so it's quite a few years yet. And and whether they want to, I don't know. But if they wanted to, we would try and support them. Yeah, of course.
0: It's quite interesting as well. You said in banking because there's a few businesses sort of within like Perthshire or North Scotland that that's what people have done, and I feel like. It's such a different way of life, but was it it a bit like a breath of fresh air because it's quite high pressure?
1: Ironically, I think this is more high pressure, but in a different way because I'm sort of self-employed. So the decisions you make here, not only for yourself and your family and also the 50-odd staff that we have here, that's quite a lot of pressure. The banking industry is, you know, it's a different type of pressure. It is high pressure and, and uh, you make decisions involving lots of money and the rewards are good, but it it wasn't an environment that I really was looking to progress in. It's quite a young man's game, I think. And I didn't see myself there, you know, when I was 26, 27, I didn't see myself there 35 to 40. I wanted to do other things. And I think we were at a crossroads where you're in so deep that you can't get out and you can't change career or, or we did what we did and I suppose not everybody has the opportunity to come run a family business so we were you know we didn't come in the back door per se but the side door and we're given the opportunity to learn on site and and make mistakes as we did in the early days you know you have to learn your trade not everybody gets that opportunity so I think we're very thankful that we were allowed to 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 come here and 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 work with them Uh, originally um, I think it became clear that we had different ideas and aspirations in terms of we all wanted success and but I think Ray and I wanted to do it our own way, so we had to sort of change that dynamic a little bit, and and that was respected by all of us. And and they're still directors. Up our, our in-laws, my in-laws are still directors in the business, and and um, still have a very keen interest in what we do here. Um, so as a family, you know, we've achieved a lot in 30 years. But the pressure from banking, it was a, it's a different type of pressure. But this one, I do prefer. At least I'm. I mean, sort of in control of this one.
0: One thing that we've not really touched on yet, which would be good to find out more about, is your gin. So, how did all that come about?
1: So, I mean, people would be well well aware of the increasing Scottish gins and 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 the gin market in the in 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 the UK. I think we have always specialised here in whisky. So, we have a, a big whisky bar at the hotel of we say 365 whiskies, one for each day of the year, and that has always been a very much a USP here. And then. The market changed somewhat. People were still interested in whiskey, but gin came onto the scene and and we we suddenly found ourselves with sort of 90 to 120 gins on site from all over the world. And um, there was clearly an opportunity to do something ourselves in terms of promoting what we do here and and being creative in in our own style of gin. And um, we had a number of key relationships with, with distilleries up here in the Highlands. And I think we wanted to tie together the fact that we were very authentic in what we do here at Torridon. And we wanted to be able to collect our own botanicals and make our own gin. Uh, And we discussed whether we should build a distillery on site, which a lot of people were doing at the time, or whether we outsource it slightly. And we looked at at what was available to us here at Torridon. So we were looking at things like uh, pine trees and the seaweed off the shore and the sort of local juniper or blaberries that you can find and, and various different botanicals and things that we could grow uh, or already were being grown either within the the woods and the forests around us or uh, in our own kitchen garden that we have um, so we were looking both from a from a botanical point of view of both sort of fruit and herbs Um, and what we could use. And we came up with some, we did did quite a few months of of tasting and and, and different distillations. And we came up with an expression, which um, is now our Arcturus original gin, which is a typical gin, very dry, but is very much made of uh, botanicals you find here on site. So that was key for us is that we we wanted it, that we wanted the story to be authentic and that it had to go from start to finish as to how we made it and, and, and how we foraged for it. And that's worked really well and clearly, You've got a market here, so people are using our bars and, and people are, are looking for presents either before or after their stay. And and gin w- w- has become very popular. And I don't think it replaced whiskey in Scotland, but um, it has become very popular. And, and certainly, you know, I remember the days people used to drink Sauvignon Blanc before dinner or a glass of champagne and then have a whiskey after dinner. That's completely changed now, you know, people. A lot of people start with gins and still champagne and then maybe whiskey after dinner. But a lot of people now drink gin and tonic. So we, I think we have 80 to 100 gins in our bar. We do whiskey tastings and we do gin tastings as well. Since the first gin we created a number of years ago, we've actually created two more different uh, expressions. Yeah, it was a great process. And for us, it was also a marketing tool in many ways. It was, it allowed us to, to promote the hotel and what we do here at the resort in a slightly different way. So it was a product that we could make on site. And, and that's... You know, we we do that here for us. It it had to tie in with our sustainability and what we do. So even the water that we serve at the table in the restaurant still and sparkling is from our borehole locally. And the wood chip that we use in our biomass is from the forest locally. So we have a very sustainable message and any product that we put out of here, we wanted it to be the same. And so for the gin had to be very authentic in what we did. So yeah, and people like it. So that's been really rewarding in terms of the f- taste and flavour and and, uh, um, and we work very, very well with the distiller to create different uh, sort of a new expression each year.
0: And what does the name mean?
1: So Arcturus is a star and it's actually probably the brightest star you can see in the sky. And it's part of one of the constellations up there. And we were looking to tie in the landscape, the botanicals, and the story and we have a stag here at the roundabout, a piece of artwork that we have and the stag's head is very much part of our brand. And it is said that when Arcturus is at its brightest in the sky, that the hinds are their most fertile and that the stags appear at the rut. Uh, and obviously mating occurs, and we, and we like the story that was tying in the stag together with the stars. Obviously, just the other night, the northern lights here were actually fantastic. So we do stargazing as an experience. Obviously, red deer is very popular here in this part of the part of the northwest coast, and it's part of our branding. So it worked really well in choosing the name. And, and uh, yeah, we're really pleased with what we have. So it's quite original and, and quite a designer label is nice.
0: And so you guys collect all the botanicals here and then send it off to be distilled. Are you able to tell us the distillery that does it?
1: Yeah, it's Martin. Martin and Claire are up at Dunnett Bay. Okay. Um, so they make rock rose. So again, we, we're keeping it in the highlands. <laughs> Martin works really closely with us. He's got his forager and, and distiller up there called Hannah. And we work with them to provide botanicals and so we have Scots Lovage that we grow in the polytunnels here. Uh, and you've got Roundberries and Blayberries are the main sort of ingredients in our original gin. We have a second expression called Scots Pine, and that has pine needles in it. So we collect Douglas fir and Scott's pine from the forest just here in the woods. And we send the product, fact packed, basically up to Hannah. And she makes the distillates that we then add to the gins. Um, and recently we just created a slow gin. And again, it was using slows from the area uh, and creating that expression. So yeah, we provide the products and Hannah and Martin make the, the gin for us. So we came up with our basic gin, which we then use that as a base for all the other expressions that we use. Um, so yeah, it's great. They, they've been really helpful to us. Um, and we're continuing to work with them on some new um, expressions that might come up this summer, hopefully. I
0: have tried a gin last night, and it was very nice, with uh, Cushy Do's tonic, so is it quite important for you to offer like a Scottish
1: tonic to go with the gin? Yes, it is. It is really important. Um, we've offered a couple over the time. Yeah, Cushy Do's is great. So uh, Andrew Lidgewood, uh, Lidge as we call him, uh, I've a- actually met socially before we even started buying his tonic. Um, we were shooting on the same shoot, and, and I said I was setting up a gin, and he said he was setting up his own tonic. Um, so he, uses, he makes a tonic without quinine, but using Scottish botanicals, and it's made in Scotland. And for us, it completes the circle. Scottish gin with Scottish tonic. It's really, really flavoursome. He's got a great marketing campaign there. And Andrew comes up and does training with the team, um, with his range of tonics. He's got a couple of different tonics now and some other flavoured ones he's just brought out, which is great. And he's a small business that's really trying to, to change the marketplace. And we like that. He, he's one of our core values here is daring to be different. And, and Lidge is definitely daring to be different, which is great. And I think it's really important how Cushy Do's works with different accompaniments to the gins in terms of whether you add, you know, with ours, we use rosemary or different types of herbs and, um, and fruit that we can put into the gin to flavour it. Because you haven't got the quinine, it does change. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, really interesting. And Andrew's got a great business.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting as well because a lot of people don't think they like gin, but it's the quinine and the tonic that they don't like. So when you try something like that, it's so much softer and not right. as bitter.
1: It's definitely a different taste, and people sometimes are a bit so your your traditionalist GNTs go, "Oh, I'm not sure about that tonic." It's funny, but it is the quinine. I think, but I I I, I do prefer my gin and tonic without the strong quinine. Mm. Uh, Fever tree is not strong, uh, not like it used to be. But but I I just love the the, the tonic that Andrew does and. Yeah, and it's a great story.
0: And would you ever do a whisky?
1: Yeah, we would. In fact, we, well, we have done a whisky. We used to do a whisky, but the whisky market has changed. And and in the last 10 years, you've gone. For, the whisky market's changed in terms of single malts, in terms of the way you, you can even access some of the malts, because a lot of whisky is now exported, certainly to, to the Far East. And actually, it's become a lot harder to buy whisky even in Scotland. And... I think the way the distilleries now market them themselves has very much changed. It always used to be about age statement, and now they tend to have names, and, and it, it's very different. But So it's become harder to actually get your name on to make a whiskey. I used to have a friend at Inverity Vaults who made whiskey as well, and therefore it was, we could take an expression from him, and we used to market it as our own whiskey, which was great. We used to do a 10-year-old, Torridon, Single Malt. Um, but I think we, I'd like to certainly like to do a blend, some of the blends now are really, really good. One of our favourites is Compass Box and uh, John Glazier there, he, he does a great, great blend of whisky and, and he's really shown me that actually some of the blends are really great. You don't have to drink just single malt. So I think some there's something we could do and I'd like to do it. But again, I'd want to make that story connection not just any single malt uh or, or blend but 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 actually could it be a local distillery where is the I could we could we work with talisker or could we work with Glen Ord or, or dalmore or whoever those are our sort of newest distilleries but so yeah it's work in progress there are talks going on but it's not as easy as the gin because the gin tends to be a lot more independent and less corporate and when you start doing with your corporates you're talking about volumes and you know how much whiskey are we going to sell is the trouble really so and then it needs to be affordable so we've looked at it yeah for sure and i'd love to do it
0: Nice, and you. So you've said your whiskey bar has got three hundred and sixty-five whiskeys. Was that always the case? Even when it was your um, yeah, David.
1: David had a real passion for whiskey as well, so he had a relationship with Gordon McPhail out of Elgin, who who are one of the the biggest independent bottlers. And um, we just carried on that. We had a number of really interesting, unique bottles on in the bar that David had collected over a number of years. And I like my whiskey as well, so it was a question of. How could we develop it? How could we grow it? How do we change the bars? So the bars completely changed in design here in in the hotel. We now have sort of what we call a wall of whiskey, Um, different regions and age statements and flavor uh, profiles. Yeah, we just carried on that tradition. So there were there probably were two hundred whiskies originally, and we we've sort of doubled it as we've gone on. But David certainly started that and had and does like his whiskey.
0: Nice. Uh, part of the podcast is um, called Desert Island Drinks. Uh, usually, Drams, but we'll say drinks. Uh, if you'd only take three drinks onto a Desert Island, what would they be and why?
1: I would take a Negroni as my cocktail of choice, gin based, and I just love a really well made Negroni on. On ice, and it also brings back great memories of people I are friends with and the groanies that we drink. So it would remind me of our friendships. I would probably take as a dram for after dinner Talisker twenty five year old. It's my favourite whisky, biased because they're probably our closest distillery to here. It's a great smoky, salty whisky, and really to me, epitomises this northwest coast. And I would probably take. Uh, a Runa champagne, Blanc de Blanc, because uh, that would remind me of my wife and the day we got married. So yeah, that was our favourite champagne. So I love uh, Blanc de Blanc, Ruinard. So those are probably the three I'd take.
0: Well, thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. No problem at all. Thanks for today.
0: I'm now joined by Paul Green, head chef at the Torridon Hotel. Hi, Paul. Hi there. How are you?
1: Yeah, not bad,
2: not
0: bad. So we're sitting in the lovely uh, dining room here and it's a beautiful sunny day um, and we're at some point going to go out and see the garden. But for anyone that's never been here before, what is the type of thing that you can expect from the menu at the Torridon?
2: The drive to the Torridon begins, it's the start of your meal. You pass several deer on the way here. On the menu at the moment, for instance, we have uh, venison, which is actually from our local local estate, which is about nine ten miles away. The, uh, the loch which is just outside that we look out on just now produces a lot of the shellfish from langoustines, lobster and crab. So we had some uh, delivery two days ago actually of langoustines at uh, half five just in time for service that night that we had on the menu. And yeah, the guests arrive in the afternoon and hopefully have a little wander around the garden. Uh, the garden produces a lot of the vegetables, a lot of the fruits that we have on the menus in both of our restaurants. Our job is pretty easy to be honest, because the land does all the hard work. Really, all we need to do is respect it. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of chefs and a lot of people say that, but we really do just think that of the best ways to you know to present to serve the food, and it's ninety nine percent of the time it's the most simplest way. And yeah, just put it on a plate and give it to the customers. Um, the food that we do here is very simple. Quite clean, quite bold. Some of the flavors, but the main thing is flavor. It tastes of what it's supposed to taste like. So, some of the plates of food will literally have two things on the plate. Not so, you know, so we don't muddle up the flavors.
0: And have you always wanted to be a chef, is it? If you come from like a kind of foodie background, or is it quite? Um,
2: I think in the past, I mean, when I was younger, when I was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I worked part time in in the local restaurants and hotels. I started off front of house. I never smiled, I wasn't really a people person, so I got booted through the back to, to, to wash the dishes. And that's when I got closer with the, the, the chefs. When I was about 16, 17 year old, that's when I suddenly started thinking, actually, that looks quite fun. The chefs, they seemed to be a bit of a crew, a bit different, and that sort of attracted me. I, can't, I don't really know why I became a chef, it just sort of clicked. I I always think back to a time uh one of the the pastry chef at a place that I worked at when I was sixteen year old, um she got me to, to blowtorch uh, some creme brulee's and for some reason, without romanticising it, just, just blowtorching, just something clicked inside me and it just made me actually this is what I want to do. My parents tried to discourage me, obviously it's uh especially back then, which is not that long ago, but still it's you know, a good eighteen, nineteen years. Um, you know hours, unsociable, pay, you know, it's quite a, quite a difficult industry, it's a lot, lot, a lot better now. But yeah, I just, I just felt that this is what I wanted to do, and um, yeah, I just went straight
0: in. And are you from the area?
2: I'm originally from Edinburgh, but I grew up in the Scottish borders. So obviously, I mean, the borders got amazing produce down there, a lot of game, a lot of really good farmland down there and it's right beside the coast as well. So there's a lot of good seafood that gets landed down there. When I was younger, there was, you know, salmon, the, the, the River Tweed is very famous for the salmon back then, probably now as well. And yeah, so that's, that's where I grew up down there.
0: You've worked for some kind of big name restaurants who are known for their kind of provenance, like Three Chimneys and things. Was that kind of the route you always wanted to go down? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but people haven't always been as interested in like where their food comes from, especially when you're dining out.
2: Yeah, I mean... The, the reason why I went to the Three Chimneys um, was actually Shirley Spears at the time, who was the owner back then. She was actually judging a competition that I'd went and done, and she had recommended me, you know, like to take the next step. Um, I think I was about eighteen year old then, um, about coming to work for her, but getting some experience in a fine dining restaurant first. And um, I, back then, you know, I was reading so many, you know, the caterer and restaurant magazine and things, and. I ended up in Bath at the a restaurant called the Bath Priory, and uh, with a chef called Chris Horridge. So he used to work at Le Manoir, so he's you know a long time at Le Manoir, and obviously Le Manoir is very famous for their vegetables and their fruits and their gardening, and he incorporated that into his cuisine at the, the Bath Priory, and that sort of kick started the the foraging for me, the the preserving and um, just looking not necessarily always at the protein but at the the vegetables and the bits that go around it and yeah from from working down there I moved up to all the way back up to the to the Isle of Skye to to work at the three chimneys with Michael Smith that's really where working with for Michael really brought you know it got it into me about um, the simplicity and flavor it's it's just always about flavor and being surrounded by you know all that amazing produce up there we had a lot of little crofters um quite similar to what we have here at the torden people who just supply us with carrots it could be five or six different varieties of carrots and um, somebody else might just grow um salad leaves and these people they don't do it to make the money they do it because they love it and it's a hard you know it's the winters can be really hard up here and but they do it for the love you know and you can taste that you can taste that love so, yeah, that really got into me about, you, you know, looking inwards and looking around me a lot closer.
0: And are there challenges of being somewhere that's not close to the central belt?
2: Yeah. I mean, our closest city is Inverness, which is quite small for a city I, I think of it as more of a, a large town. Uh, we're quite lucky, especially in the, the spring, summer, autumn months, We uh, a lot of our fruit and veg comes from the garden. We've got our own... Uh, cattle here, our own pigs, our own chickens. A lot of the, the meat comes from local estates. Um, our fish from just outside the door there, we you know we collect it six miles away in the local village. Sometimes it's quite difficult being so far up north. Working in the city, you can get deliveries every single day. If you've forgotten to order something, somebody can nip along to the shops if need be. Whereas you can't do that here. If you want to nip along to the shop, it's two hours or an hour and a half drive. So even sometimes things like vinegars, or, or olive oil it can be quite you know things which are quite basic things in a kitchen it can be quite challenge to get up here but uh, you know we that's part of being up here uh, part of being in the scottish islands and that's one of the things that i really enjoy um, is is that challenge sometimes but yeah i've, I've been up i've been at the torrid for two years and you know having been working on the isle of sky for you know three three and a half years in the past i kind of know what to expect, but I can only imagine what it was like twenty, twenty five years ago being up here. It, I, I must I you know, it's it's getting better every year, but I can only imagine what it was like you know, a while ago.
0: Quite creative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And do you have quite a lot of freedom with the garden? Like, can you say you want to plant and grow specific things, or is it just basically what's there is what you use?
2: No, so. Our, um, head gardener, Bryony, she started with us last year, just in time for us building a new polytunnel. So we've actually got two large polytunnels down there now. And last year, obviously I started two years ago, COVID hit, we opened, we closed, we opened and closed just like every other business. So, um, last year we had a better, better go at things and, um, we grew lots of different varieties, lots of different things last year and it was on the menu and we, we tasted everything. And at the end of the year we sat down and decided on what was the best things, what tasted the best and what to grow this year. Um, Worked very closely with the two different restaurants at two different price points. Um, We speak with the the chef up at the uh, other restaurant called the Bo Muck for their input as well. And um, yes, it's a team, it's a team thing. Like I, I might want something, but Bryony, she's the expert. And if she says, you know, that's not going to work here um, or this wor- will work or why don't we try this? You know, it's, it's very much a team effort. And t- yeah, we're all ears.
0: So there's this is the fine dining restaurant. Then you've got Bowen Muck, which is a bit more like a pub, is that right?
2: Yeah, so we're going for, um, yeah, the fine dining restaurant here it is what it is. We serve a set menu, um, four or five courses, uh, very simple the product that we use down here might be, for instance, we might use a bit of turbot or hand dive scallops, things like that. Whereas at the muck, yeah, it's a different price point, a little bit cheaper, but it's still, you know, it's still the same suppliers, still the same langoustines, still the same lobsters um, up there. It's just a different price point, uh, more of an a la carte style. Over the next couple of years, we're trying to push um, the muck more in a sort of brasserie direction, just so it's more in fitting with the the Tordans sort of five star appeal. We have a lot of people who come here for two, three, four nights and, you know, they'd like to, to try different things. One night they might want the set menu, no choices. The next night they might just want, like, fish and chips. And we just need to make sure, obviously, that we serve the best fish and chips around, which we do, hopefully.
0: And you were saying that your mum and dad tried to stop, to sort of dissuade you from pre- becoming a chef. Was there anyone in your family that was, like, Good at cooking, that kind of inspired you, or was it the chef that that you worked with?
2: Looking into the kitchen, it was just a different world. You know, it, it just something about it attracted me. Um, nobody in particular in the family really. There's not any chefs or amazing cooks, which might annoy some people, maybe. But um, yeah, there's nothing nothing that's really jumping out. You know, I didn't grow up as uh, you know standing beside a, you know my granny or something like that, like peeling potatoes or nothing like that. Um, so no, it was when i you know when I was actually working that 's when I started yeah this is this is what I want to do, which is quite a change from what I wanted to do originally, which is more sort of physical education um it was very much into sports, so it was quite suddenly different
0: it was still intense in a way isn 't it like you're kind of you're, you're doing a lot of hours and
2: yeah, I mean, like I say, I mean even going back if I was to go back ten years or so the changes in the industry is, is amazing. And it's definitely for the better. The hours, they're not as nowhere near as extreme as what they used to be. I can remember when I was younger, so between 16 and 18 hours, um, 10, 12 days straights in certain places. The, the, the kitchen environment obviously has changed a lot as well. You know, a lot less shouting and screaming and other things that might happen. Um, none of that sort of stuff happens as much anymore. I'm sure it might happen in some places still. But um, yeah, I mean, at the Tordin, for instance, it's nothing like that here. It's very, very calm and it's part of where we are as well. We're in the Highlands, It's uh, you know, you've come up from Glasgow today and everything slows down up here and it's a different way of life and people live a bit differently here. And it's the same with the staff. You know, a lot of the staff have come up from the cities. I've come up myself from Manchester. I haven't been down there for five, six years and um, you slow down up here and the staff slow down and, you know, we encourage the staff to get into the garden, to get out onto the lock of kayaking, to get up the hills and the mountains and just, just breathe. Because mm-hmm. I think that sometimes in this industry, people don't have a chance to breathe because it's just a hundred miles an hour, but we just slow down here and uh, yeah. It's a happy place, hopefully.
0: And is that a kind of if you ever were to leave and set up on your own, is that the type of ethos you'd take with you? Because it's like you know, a lot of headlines recently with how chefs treat or some chefs have been treating their staff, and and it sounds a lot nicer here. And
2: yeah, I mean, a lot of the the headlines that I've seen recently. I mean, these these chefs are amazing chefs. And that's the sort of brigades they've come up in, in kitchens. That's the sort of experiences they've maybe had when they were younger coming up. And when you're producing food at that sort of high level, there is going to be pressure. And I mean, a lot of the, the headline chefs, you know, I've eaten plenty of times in the restaurants and I think the food is amazing to be honest. I'm probably biased towards the chefs because I do understand, you know, it's, it could be somebody's name above the door and you've got that one moment to be able to impress and to, to please a customer. And if something gets messed up in that one moment, it's it's been and gone. The customers, you know, they're they're no longer in your restaurant and you've kind of failed. So I I get the intensity from chefs. And, you know, sometimes it is good. You know, you, you do need that bit of pressure in the kitchens. It's just obviously how you go about it, really. But, yeah, I, the, the Tordon, you know, we don't shout and scream at the people. I say that, but you're not allowed to speak to any of the chefs afterwards. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. But, uh, no, it's, it's... Ah, there's not... We don't, there's no need for it here. It's a 36-cover restaurant. There's five, sometimes six of us in the kitchen. It's a set menu. Everybody comes in. They know what the job is. Um, there's no real need, reason to lose it, I suppose.
0: One of the last parts of the podcast is called My Life and Food, which is five quickfire questions about food. If you just tell me the first thing that comes into your head, yep. that's okay. Um, so whenever I'm hungry, I think of...
2: Uh, either a kebab or fish and chips. Fish
0: and chips. <laughs> Comfort food for me is...
2: It would be the same, I suppose. Or ice cream.
0: My favourite childhood dessert is? Creme brulee. My food heaven is?
2: Um, uh, I mean, it depends on the day, I suppose. It could be one of my answers to the questions one and two. I mean, sometimes you do just crave fish and chips. I'm pretty simple like that.
0: And my food hell is? Um,
2: I'm not a fan of... (laughs) I'm not a fan of, like, eggs, as in fried eggs, poached eggs. I'll have it in a dessert or I'll have it in a dish, but I'm not a fan of actually having a scrambled egg or an omelette. It's not, not fun for me.
0: Paul and I joined the kitchen garden, which has an array of sustainable functions when it comes to the running of the resort.
2: So here we have the uh, compost machine. So any food waste, which hopefully there's very little, uh, any tea, coffee granules from breakfast, for instance, that all goes into the compost machine and um, several weeks later comes out as compost, which then goes into the garden. Then from the garden, the, the produce comes back into the kitchen. and It's just a really nice circle. Um, just doing our little bit here in the in the Highlands here. Just, it's nice.
0: And you can hear the sort of stream behind us, and you're saying that the water comes, all the
2: water you use in the hotel comes from the source. Yeah, so a lot of the water, uh, the bottled water that we serve the customers, still in sparkling, we have our own water source um, coming off. From the uh, the mountains, gets bottled on site, uh, obviously through a filtration system. Again, it's just I mean, the water tastes amazing up here. I mean, everybody knows that Scottish water is really good, but even more so up in the Highlands. Obviously, it's very good for uh, whiskey. We're outside
0: the kitchen garden now, so we're going to wander in. It looks lovely, and it's also sunny.
2: Yeah, it's it's nice. It's uh, a little bit of a chill yeah, it's Really nice. So, as we're uh, walking down the middle here, on the other side of us is um, several different varieties of apples. So, later on this year, this will be covered in apples, whether it's cooking apples, apples that will be in the rooms for eating. Really delicious. Um, trees, we've also got a lot of d- various nut trees, so, we've got a lot of cob nuts, which we'll use later on. Pears, plums, quince. Um, lots of different fruits later on. We had cherries last year as well which were delicious. We had a couple of weeks worth of them. Um, berries, we've got strawberries, raspberries, different varieties of raspberries. Uh, gooseberries, black currants, red currants, white currants. Lots of different um, soft fruits. And then vegetables. So here we are just outside the two polytunnels and Yeah, in the summertime we'll have a lot of different things growing from peas and broad beans to aubergine and outside just now actually we're looking at some purple sprout and broccoli which is on the menu and we've also got a lot of Jerusalem artichokes again which is on the menu good time of the year for them a lot of salads yeah, it's a lot a lot of different stuff down here and we try to encourage the chefs as much as possible to get down here um, a couple of times a week, Just even if they're just having a wander, because it can be inspiring. Usually on a Sunday, which is the end of our work and week, I usually come down here and just have a wander, because you, you can see something that makes you think, what can I do with that? that might taste very good with this and that and it's it's just very inspiring and when you've got a day like this when it's blue skies and the mountains have got a bit of a, bit, a little bit of snow on the top of them it's just a nice place to be and I think that makes a big difference is uh, being out in the open and just being, being able to think clearly as well you know you're not in a city where it's you have to be 100 miles an hour you know you've got the competitors next door or over the road. You know, here we've got our own thing going on and um, we can just do our little thing here.
0: And do you ever have any customers who are quite surprised at the sheer amount of fruit and veg that comes from the garden?
2: Yeah, I mean, last year there's quite a few occasions where myself or some one of the other chefs was out picking things in the garden. The customers come down and ask what we're up to and um, we get them to taste the things, you know, like we're picking the tomatoes off of the vines and, you know, like getting the customers to taste them off the vines and they're dining with us later on that evening and... Um, they know themselves that they've just witnessed the chefs actually picking these things and they've tasted it warm on the vine. You know, it's a, it's a very different experience. And yeah, being up in Scotland uh, so far, up north as well, people are surprised at what sort of things we get. So, I mean, we had last year aubergines growing all the way up until almost December in the, uh, in the greenhouse. I would never myself have expected to be growing aubergines in Scotland, but we do. So yeah, like a little bit of... the. Uh, a little bit of Italian or Mediterranean influence up here as well. You know, we'd grow quite a lot of peppers and things like that as well and various chilies, which is nice. Yeah, we're spoiled.
0: It's quite a unique thing as well to be able to come here as a guest at the hotel, see it, if you're here, maybe try some bits and then witness it on your plate. Like, there's not many places, really.
2: No, definitely not, definitely not. It's really nice. It's, it's nice as well for us chefs to be able to speak to the customers. Um, the customers aren't, you know, coming into the kitchen or we're going out to the, the dining room. They're actually, we're meeting in the garden which is you know very much our focal point for what we're trying to do in, at the Tordon in the hotel and yeah it's yeah it's a nice it's a nice little uh, meeting
0: thank you very much it's lovely
2: down the bottom is where all like the, uh, the cherries and the plums and the pears and things like that are all the way along the bottom hedge is uh, where we grow the artichokes, with thousands and thousands of artichokes.
0: That's the one thing I can never get round, because it's a nightmare to peel and get this this spiky bit out the middle.
2: But I do really like them. In the summertime, this is just full of so much stuff. So when the customers, when the guests do come down, you know they've driven three, four, five, six hours, they've flown up from down south or wherever they come from, and they drop their stuff off and just stretch their legs, and they come down and. The anticipation of that evening's meal is already building when they come down here and they see the chefs and they see the gardeners you know picking picking the vegetables and the bits and pieces and you know they're speaking to the chefs. It's all building up to that to that moment at night time. And all we have to do then is like I said before, present it, you know, simply, as simple as possible.
0: Yeah, it just adds to the whole experience.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Obviously we're right beside a lot of woodland here where um, the chefs do go out and forage a lot of the mushrooms that we'll use later on in the year. So last year was actually very good for mushrooms. A lot of gerolles, chanterelles, seps. A lot of seps here last year, which obviously is one of the the kings in the mushroom kingdom. So We have a lot of local suppliers, um, local people who, just like when I was younger working on Sky, they might just uh, grow certain crops of fruits and they might give us a phone call in the middle of the summer and say, I've got 20 kilos of this or that, and, uh, you know, we'll take it because it's supporting the local people. Um, and, you know, it goes back to flavour. It tastes great as well. Just because it's local or, you know, growing close by doesn't always mean that it you know, tastes good. It just so happens that these things do, yeah. uh, which is really important for us. Even think down to things like salt. We use a lot of salt from Isla Skies. I so. you know, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the the whiskies we use local distilleries, um, you know, it's uh, just about supporting the people around you as well.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks to Paul and Dan for being my guests on this episode, and thanks again to you for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Scran is a laudable podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosin Derskin, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.